Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, quarantined in D.C., and today my guest, I'm so excited, is Brooklyn Dad Defiant, otherwise known as Majid Padelin. Uh, he is huge on Twitter. He's an author. He's an activist. He's hilarious. He's smart. He's so much fun to talk to. I was so excited when he agreed to be on the podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm not disappointed. We had a fabulous conversation. I know you're going to love him, especially his book. Oh, my God. You got to buy his book. It sounds fantastic. Um, but before we get into all the, the uh, you know, start me up stuff about how to join and become a patron, I want to remind everybody that I am taking next week off. So no podcasts next week. And also, uh, tomorrow, Stephanie and I, Steph Walton and I, are going to do the last patrons-only show of the month. So that's going to be fun. We're going to, you know, that show is a little bit more personal. So I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, outside of that, just getting along, you know, just dealing with my grief. Uh, as I mentioned at the outro of the show, uh, this morning I woke up a little bit sad, but talking to, let's just call him BDD, um, really did help my spirits. And I'm grateful. That's one thing I love about this show, you know, is that whether it's COVID or Trump or whatever personal things might be going on in my own life that are not necessarily fun, maybe they're scary or negative or sad or whatever, doing the show brings me out of it. It's kind of like when, you know, when, I mean, I guess you could apply this to any situation. You have to go to work. You can't mope around all day. So it, like when you're an actress, which I was, you have to pull yourself out of your funk. And so I was a little in a little bit of a funk and I did, I was okay yesterday, you know, but today I was kind of sad thinking about Miranda and, um, you know, I just I, I feel like doing these shows is kind of helping save me. <laughs> so I always just want to appreciate and, 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 and express my gratitude for the patrons and for everybody who listens and, and gives feedback because it, it helps me so much. And I and I love, love, love talking to smart people. So um before we get into the main part of the interview, um, or the main part of the show, I should say, Start Me Up podcast is independent. And I, you know, the listeners support the show. I don't depend on anybody corporate or I don't use advertisers at this point. Um, patrons are the ones who keep the show going. And again, I'm grateful. I love doing this. So I just ask that if, you know, you take a listen to today's show, if you like it, check out the about section on the Patreon page and you can see all the other guests I've had. I've had Molly Jung Fast and I've had actors. I interview um, Vincent D'Onofrio and Kristen Johnston and Alyssa Milano, but I've also, and like I, I interviewed Kirk Acevedo and his wife, Kirsten Warren. Both of those interviews had a little bit of politics and a little bit of acting mixed in. Most of the time I talk about politics, but um, here's the deal. You can sign up to be a patron for any dollar amount. So you could sign up for two bucks. And if you sign up for two bucks a month, which is like almost nothing, you get all the shows, all the free shows delivered to your email box. And so here's, here's the tier situation as far as what we're starting next month in July. What I'm going to do is uh, two patrons only shows per month. So if you're signed up for $4 or less, you'll get to hear one of those shows. When you sign up to the $5 tier or more, you get to hear both of those shows. They will be delivered to your, to your email box. And so um, 
It's up to you. You can sign up for any dollar amount. Don't feel limited to $5 per month. You could sign up for $10 a month or $25 a month or even $500,000 per month. <laughs> you could do that, and I'm not going to argue. Uh, just visit patreon.com slash startmeup, and you can see, like I said, all the tiers, and you can read the about. Uh, one thing that sometimes people like to do is they, they make a one-time donation. So if that's, if that's what you want to do, I include my email address, and you can just go through PayPal, so you could do that. And then last, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Please stop by the Apple Podcasts and become a subscriber. It's free. And then if you're there, why don't you just give me a good rating and a review if you like the show? That would really, really be appreciated. Can I stress that more? It would really, 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 really be appreciated if you would give me a good rating and a good review. Haven't had a good review for quite a while um, on, on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. So I, I would love that and I would appreciate it. So that's it. Please enjoy my fun conversation with Brooklyn Dad Defiant. Welcome, Brooklyn Dad Defiant. Well, hello. Good morning. Hello. Kimberly, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, thank you for being on the show. And your real name, and I'm going to hopefully say this right, is Majid Padellan. Ding, 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 Yay! ding. You are correct. <laughs> love thank that. You all. Um, well done. Yeah, Point. you're 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 freaking awesome. I mean, I love. I've been following you for a long time. And right now you've got probably, I don't know, over 500,000 Twitter followers. And, you know, I don't really know a lot about you other than what, how you present yourself on Twitter, which, by the way, is awesome and funny and informative. So I kind of want to know about who you are, who you were before you became this like Twitter star. Well, Kimberly, <laughs> I was born a poor <laughs> black child. So was I. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, so that is actually true. And I say right. it in jest with right. the uh, old Steve yes. Martin, the jerk uh, thing. But yes. but yeah, um, I, I have uh, two sisters, one in California, one in Florida. Um, my mom is deceased. My dad oh. is still alive. Um, and right now I'm a dad. Who is uh, also happily married to the love of my life, whom I met on Twitter? Really, that's so cool. I did. Wow. I I did. There was it was one night. Um, I happened to have been up all night tweeting. I don't do that anymore, by the way. I don't like. I'm not all night marathon tweeting. But no, I had happened to. It was like a Saturday night, and you ever had one of those Saturday nights where you just kind of get caught in a loop of yeah. watching hey i haven't seen this movie yet yeah let me check this out so the sun came <laughs> up and it was like the most gorgeous uh sunrise i'd ever seen so i snapped a picture you know uh and you could see like the the city skyline you know from brooklyn you can see the where <clears throat> you could see a beautiful city skyline and i posted it on twitter and literally within minutes, I had people jumping in from, hey, it's uh, it's uh, I'm hailing from Hawaii or <laughs> hello from France. And wow. it was like the international tweet of my life. Wow. And my wife happened to chime in and she's like, hey, don't forget us here in New Zealand. <laughs> and I was like, what? New Zealand? <laughs> I'm like, what's what's the temperature out there? And she says, well, it's uh, I forget, like. 21 degrees C Celsius. Mm -hmm. And right. I'm like, shit, Celsius. <laughs> Come on, let me get out my, hey, my I'm an American here. Uh, I said, and I replied, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm a bit oafish when it com comes to uh, 
Celsius versus Fahrenheit. What does that mean in Fahrenheit? And later on, she'd tell me I had her at at Ofish. Oh, you know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we are so both cute. proud wordsmiths. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we so we started oh. chatting first, you know, just through direct messages. Yeah, and then we found a video app where we could go back and forth, back and forth. And before you knew it, we were making plans for her to come visit me here in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took her on a whirlwind um, first date, <laughs> the best first date I've ever had in my life. <laughs> it started off in Coney Island. And she had never been to Coney Island. Oh, it's always cool to bring someone yeah. somewhere where they've never been. Uh, then it went up to Washington Heights, where I grew up. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Inwood. Um on 196th street and then we just went downtown from there we hit like uh columbia university we went to times square took her on a subway ride uh went to my comic book store because i'm a big comic book fan the store was closed by that time but Hmm. i just wanted to show her Mm -hmm. how how nerdy i am (laughs) uh and then we went to um washington square park then we went to the promenade you know, uh, and then we stopped at 7-Eleven because I'm like a coffee fiend. And for some <laughs> reason, I happen to love 7-Eleven coffee. Um, you, you know, and when you hear me say coffee, you know, I'm from New York. Yes. Right? We love our <laughs> coffee. All right. <laughs> we love our coffee. Uh, so, yeah. And then like three weeks later, I was proposing. Uh, I proposed wow. to her uh, for, for marriage. And she said, yes. Yay. She said, yes. yes. <laughs> And uh, three months later, December 29th, uh, she and the kids moved their entire lives Hmm. from New Zealand to be with this lucky Brooklyn dad. Wow. That's an amazing story. Good Lord. Yeah, it is. And even when I tell it, I've heard I've told this story like a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And when I tell it, I'm like, wow, did that really happen? Majid? (laughs) Yes, it did. Majid. Wow. Yes, it did. So, so what did you, what do you, before, like, I mean, I know you're an author and we're going to talk about your book in a minute, but, um, before all of this, before social media and everything, like, what did you do for work? Uh, long time graphic designer going back to 1988 and like my best friend, um, he was doing, actually, he was the one doing graphic design and I was doing sales. I was selling oh. vacuum cleaners, Kirby vacuum cleaners. Hmm. Have you ever heard of Kirby? No. Yeah. It's like the most ridiculously priced. <laughs> it's like $1,200 oh vacuum cleaner, but you were never allowed to call it a vacuum cleaner. It's like a complete home care system. Of course. And, <laughs> you know, and he was so impressed with my sales skills. He's like, all right, let's, let's start our own company. Hmm. So I was like, bet. And after three months I had brought in huge accounts with Chase oh. Manhattan bank and CBS and American express. So we had so much business. I had to learn how to do the graphics. Mm. Hence from that point on, I was a graphic designer. Wow. And, um, and yeah, and during that time, I've had a, a hell of a roller coaster ride through life. Um, I was I was married at the time with two children, and then a third one came along. So I had three boys from my first marriage, and um, I you know I take when I call myself Brooklyn Dad on Twitter, mm-hmm. like it's because the dad is my is my persona. It's what I am most proud of mm-hmm. in my life. 
There was a time uh, during the 90s when I was struggling with drug addiction. Mm. And during those years, I mean, it, it was horrible. At one yeah. point, I was homeless. Wow. I was homeless living on the street because I couldn't be trusted around my family. Wow. Yeah. So um, finally in 2003, I nicked that in the bud. I was lucky enough to bring that to an end. Yeah. So this August will be 17 years wow. I'm clean and sober. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, you know, so the, the whole dad part of me is like, um, why I'm so proud of it is because at during the time that I was, you know, in the grips of addiction, I was not much of a dad at all. Mm. I might have been home, mm -hmm. but I was stoned out of my mind. Yeah. And uh, and when I wasn't doing the heavier stuff, you know, I'd be stoned and sitting on the couch and I was there, but I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And ever since 2003, I made it a priority, you know, in my life that no matter what, you cannot let yourself leave this world without these three boys mm -hmm. knowing what you know and setting the right example for them mm -hmm. so i take that dadship very seriously yeah very seriously um so yeah that's who i am i'm a dad first and then i'm a husband uh and then i'm a human being you know i'm mm -hmm. a proud american who is also a political junkie. I've Me been, too. <laughs> I, you know, when I was in seventh grade, um, computers were very, very new. They had like a black screen mm -hmm. with like a flashing green dot. Yes. I don't know. You probably, that's probably way before your time. I don't know. I'll be 52 this July. So say what? <laughs> okay. So you remember that? Yes, I you do. Remember. I do. Yeah. It might've been a Tandy 1000, like a radio show. Wow. Computer. <laughs> right. And and I remember staying after school. Uh, I went to the Dalton school, by the way, which uh, so I have that in common with Anderson Cooper oh, cool. and um, and quite a few other uh, celebrities. Yeah. Um, and I used to stay late after school playing this game. Uh, it was like a presidential um, like you got to be president and campaign in these different states. Oh, and cool. yeah. this was fun to me as a yeah. seventh grader. Wow. This was fun. That's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. I didn't become a political junkie until later in life. So that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think that's me in a nutshell. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm cutting out some of, I'm sure I've, I've just given you the Reader's Digest version. Well, that's okay. But, I mean, I was, uh, just, I was, I was really curious. And, you know, you and I have a few things in common in that we were both in sales and obviously we're political junkies and we're both authors. So that's kind of cool. I used to be an actress, too, for a while. So, um, you know, I was, I played a police officer on Days of Our Lives for about seven years. It was a small role. Oh. I wasn't like one of the main, you know, contract people, but I, I was hired I would say worked anywhere from three to 10 times. Well, no, I should, I should say most of the time I would maybe work like one or two times a month, but occasionally I would get like a week's worth, worth of work. And then later in the month, a couple of days. So it wasn't like this big deal, but it was a big deal to me because first of all, uh, when I was nine, my mother had moved out to California and I stayed with my grandmother while she drove across country and set us all up. And so, uh, mm -hmm. One afternoon during the summer, I was nine and I was flicking through the television channels and happened upon this 
soap opera, which was Days of Our Lives, and it was a scene where two teens were going to have first time sex. And of course, I was <laughs> riveted. I was like, oh my God. So I was a total prude, but I was very interested. And so I got hooked on that show. And the funny thing uh -huh. is, is that later, the very first book I ever put out, which I actually uh, did with my mom, was called The Virgin Diaries, and it was focused on first time sex. People just shared their first time sex stories. But it was funny because like, I watched that show throughout my life. Uh, during school, I got my friends into it. My boyfriend was into it. And then I worked at the Broadway in Glendale, California, which was close to the Burbank Studios. And I'd often see a lot of the people from Days of Our Life shopping. And then people I worked with, including my mother, were extras on the show. And then <laughs> I was in this uh, acting studio. After we graduated, we did this thing called the professional level where we would invite casting directors and agents and, you know, we would basically audition for them at the studio. And so my acting coach knew Fran Bascom, who was the casting director for Days of Our Lives. And my mother and I, who were both in the studio, were like all over him, like, get Fran in, get Fran in. And finally, Fran came in with this guy, Ron Sperber, her assistant, and we mm -hmm. all did our audition. And my mother and I, my mother got the biggest role. Uh, I got the second <laughs> biggest role. So it was like, it's just funny, you know? It's like, that and then is very cool. When I got to be on the show the very first time, I was on with two of my, uh, you know, studio mates. So I felt, not only did I feel so comfortable, like, knowing, I felt like I knew everybody on the set anyway. And I mm -hmm. knew the storylines and the backstories. But I was working with people that I, you know, was familiar with. So it, it was fantastic. But the second time I was on the show, I was alone. And I looked right directly into the camera like an idiot. Oh. But, you know, it's days of our lives and they don't really care about that stuff. So, um, but yeah, that was kind of fun. So I... Wait, did that part, did that part stay in? Of course it did. You know, they, they, they really, ha they don't care. They just don't care. And you know what? I was just like the lowly, they called them under five, five lines or less. I was the lowly under five. And I was like so humiliated when I saw it. And I just looked freaking stupid, but they kept it. But my mother had the same thing. Like, I, I can't remember if it was her first uh, episode, but there was this one time when she was on, it might've been the first one. And she had this, like, she was supposed to be shocked, but she had this like crazy ass shock look on her face. And she was thinking, Oh my God, they're never going to hire me again. And of course they did. And like I said, she went on to, she worked enough so that she could get health insurance from, you know, SAG after, I think it, it was just after at the time, um, oh, wow. which are the unions. But anyway, so that's enough about me, but, but I do see that we have quite a bit in common. And I believe that my, um, you know, my years in sales and because I did that a long time, too, and my years in acting have kind of prepared me for what I do now, doing this podcast and being vocal and, you know, somewhat of an activist and all of that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of funny. But, you know, can I just say something? Sure. You, what you just said about how your ex your life experiences have prepared you mm -hmm. for where you, what you are doing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I am I am right there, right there with you. I feel like every single crumb of experience of life experience has prepared me for this moment, yeah. for has prepared me for what is happening right now. And you're very influential and that's important. And it's like, you know, both of us obviously mean you have a huge, massive social media following. And and because of that, clearly you have a lot of influence. And I mean, I understand um, you know, I mean, I'm building up my, whether it's my Patreon page or, and I really hate Facebook and, and people are friending me on it. And eventually I just want to get rid of it. But, mm -hmm. and, and Facebook did take my, I had a thriving page um, it, that was destroyed and killed in 2018 because Mark Zuckerberg is a fucking asshole, but that's a whole he other is. story. Oh, I hate him so much. 
Um, I, I, and I hate Facebook. I hate it. But I figure since I'm growing my business and I'm growing my podcast, I do post it on there. And I feel like, well, if I'm going to be on Facebook, then I want to at least put out positive or correct factual information to counter the bullshit. So, um, yeah. you know, uh, whatever. But I think, you know, it's important that when you have that huge platform um, and it's like you said, your, your life experience has led you up to this and it's what you're supposed to do. And I feel like, you know, I had this vision or thought, I should say it wasn't a vision, but I had a mm -hmm. thought in, I think it was 2008 as I was collecting stories for the Virgin Diaries. And I just like, it was a very kind of quick little wispy thought that went through my mind, but I thought, God, I really love to just like have a website where I could throw out my ideas and then people could like, you know, talk back and forth about it. And then yeah. I just didn't know I was in sales. I was selling at that time. I think I was selling oil or giftware or whatever the fuck I was selling. And mm -hmm. I just, it didn't even seem like a possibility, but then Facebook came along and actually gave me that opportunity to, to do that. And I did it. I had a huge thriving page, uh, but now that's what I'm trying to do with Patreon. So it's like Patreon is I can build a, a business that I can, you know, earn money from from my show and continue to have this dialogue because I love having the dialogue. It's like I love talking to people. And you know what else? I want to ask you about your book. But right before I do, I'm just going to say mm -hmm. uh, part of I think what and this sounds so funny, but part of what kind of led me to this thing being a podcaster was I was alone my whole life pretty much I didn't have a boyfriend I dated here and there and I'd see guys for a while but I never had a boyfriend and so mm -hmm. I was alone a lot and I talked on the phone all the time and mm -hmm. so I you know I really I really exercised being a con you know like my conversational skills on the phone and it's like now I do this podcast and it just it feels almost like I'm talking on the phone and it's just so funny so <laughs> and I also met my I call him my boyfriend husband uh which I just came <laughs> up with last night I met him online too so that's kind of funny you know talking on the phone is like a lost art yeah. these days I, I, I swear the kids when you like first of all if if somebody texts you, apparently it is a crime to return that text with the phone call. <laughs> Why are you calling me? I texted you. I wanted to text back. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, but uh, yeah, back in the day, I remember it was all about the phone. And yeah. when texting became a thing, I was like that old dinosaur me that too. didn't want to move I didn't off do of it. the yeah. phone. Totally. Like, why are you sending me? And now, my, <laughs> like my son, right, he'll send me... Uh, text messages with all these abbreviations that now I have to stop. I have to go to Google. What does BRB mean? Actually, I know BRB is, is be right back. You right. know? Um, yeah. That's so, so funny. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, it's true. Funny. Talking on the phone is a lost art. Um, all right. So let's get into your <clears throat> book. Tell me all about your book. And I saw you, you did a reading on, I think it's your pin tweet, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, so that was the day that I launched my book and I lost my job that I had had for 14 years. Wow. Same day. Wow. Same day. Yeah. March 21st. That's crazy. So, so yeah, I actually, so nowadays, um, uh, I, I still do a daily reading on my, uh, my Periscope show. Uh, it's called Storytime with BDD um, or Storytime with Brooklyn Dad. And, um yeah, so it's uh, the the name of the book is the Littlest President, <laughs> Littlest, L I L I D D L E <laughs> apostrophe, 
E-S-T. That like apostrophe it. is important because that was where I came up with the idea for the book. Wow. I don't know if you remember, like last year, when they were just unraveling the whole Ukraine episode with Trump, where he said, I would like you to do us a favor, though. Mm-hmm. And Adam Schiff came out with the whistleblower, and now Trump is attacking him mm-hmm. as Liddle yeah. Adam Schiff. L-I-D-D-L-E apostrophe Adam Schiff. Uh-huh. And I just thought this was hilarious, first of <laughs> all. I'm like, this is our president? Yeah. This is our president who can't spell the word little. <laughs> and he's intentionally putting two Ds in there and an apostrophe after the E, right? And then CNN, um, I think, wrote an article uh, quoting him, and they dropped the apostrophe and he came out on Twitter like, and fake news, CNN, they, they dropped the hyphen. Oh my so God. now he's referring oh to the apostrophe as a hyphen. <laughs> and, a fucking you know, idiot. Uh, and that was it. Then I knew yeah. I had to document this, this episode in American history. Mm-hmm. And I had to make it as funny <laughs> and ridiculous and as truthful yeah. as possible. Right? So in my life, I, I had always wanted to be a writer not a designer. Mm-hmm. I, I do happen to be very good at graphic design, but I I stumbled into that profession like by mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I do have good um, aesthetic sensibilities and graphic design skills, but mm-hmm. um, really writing was always my first love. You know, yeah. um, I was actually a newspaper reporter for Ridgewood News in New Jersey wow. when I was 19 wow. years old. That's so Wait a cool. Minute. No, sorry, I was 20. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and uh, that's always what I've wanted to do. And I've been telling like my family members and friends, yeah, I'm going to write a book. And this, this went on for decades. I'm going to write a book. <laughs> and, you know, um, I never, I, I've had the book written in my head, mm-hmm. but it wasn't the littlest president. Right. I'll tell you that. The book I have in my hat, in my head is an epic, epic science fiction that I am 99% sure um, is going to get me a whole lot of death threats, like that (laughs) kind of book. Yeah. Um, But with that said, The Littlest President, it was a gift that came to me during a time when we were all, and when I say we, I say I'm collectively including members of the resistance, people who are sick and tired of the shit show Mm -hmm. that's going on in DC right now. It's just, it's insane. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's centered around the main character, Spanky McDumbass. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So yeah, Spanky McDumbass is a horrible little man who, (laughs) who improbably rose to the most Uh, to the highest position of power in America and then ultimately meets his bigly demise. Good. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) I love the ending already. (laughs) So in this book, it's so the book is formatted like a children's book. Uh Okay. So the main book, it's hardcover, right? And, um, it's eight and a half inches by 11, but it's landscape, right? So it looks just like a children's book, yeah. but it is not by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. I didn't drop any F-bombs in there, but the, one of my favorite words 
in this book is the word shitbaggery. I'm not sure that's really a word. It is shitbaggery. now. It is, it is now. now. Yeah. That's yeah, They have awesome. to enter that in, at least into the urban dictionary. Yeah. But uh, shitbaggery is there. I think the word asshole is in there. So if you have children mm-hmm. that are under the age of 12, right. maybe you might not want them to, to see this book. However, I am told by many people, many people are saying it's <laughs> tremendous, it's tremendous. Uh, I'm told a, a lot of people have, uh, find it hilarious yeah. and it, it's intentionally so. Right. Well, good. And, and it's on Amazon, right? Where do you buy it? It is on Amazon.com. But if you want an autographed copy right. from me, and that's what I spend uh, at least a few hours every week doing is autographing uh, hard copy cover uh hardcover copies of the littlest president and some people will say you know just say something clever uh some people just want my signature um but yeah it's it's something that i wrote this book because i wanted us to have something to laugh at Mm -hmm. during a very dark period in america Mm -hmm. and there's some hope there is a hopeful message in this book don't think it's just all shit show Mm -hmm. and it ends like and donald trump was the president for the next 100 years no that's not that's not how it ends yeah it's got a good ending i won't spoil it for you although really the first page of the book (laughs) kind of spoils it uh because it shows Spanky McDumbass (laughs) behind bars oh god that's like oh that's like everybody's wet dream Yes. Everybody with a yes. brain and, and, and a sense of sanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a, a ton of fun putting this together. I wrote it and then I storyboarded it out for a guy, um, an artist that I worked with from uh, North Carolina, whose name, ironically, is John Kelly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So not General John right. Kelly, but John Kelly. That's crazy. Yeah. And um, it, it's wonderfully illustrated um spanky is depicted as having a massive watermelon sized head <laughs> and a tiny baby sized body <laughs> yeah oh yeah. my god you know i just i hate him so much and i think so many of us do it's just he's he's you know i had uh, sarah wood on the show on monday and we were talking about the fact that you know that tulsa rally was just humiliating to him and clearly he was humiliated <laughs> when, <laughs> and and it is it's like he takes I such pleasure it. in 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 <sighs> his failings but you know i mean sarah had made the point that maybe maybe our uh and i'm not saying we should stop but Maybe the mocking and all of that stuff makes him even more angry, which makes him even more dangerous. But at the same time, I mean, he has to be mocked. He has to be called out. He has to be shown for the fucking charlatan bullshit grifter that he is, mobster, medicated mobster, whatever. I mean, he just he's he's so dangerous and he's so scary. And I'm just like, uh, I have so many questions for you about where you think he's going. But before I get into those, I do want to ask you um, Mm-hmm. You have on your Twitter uh, bio, you identify as a feminist. So I'm yes. a feminist and I, I'm curious. I mean, I think that the kind of feminist I am is not necessarily like the academic feminists, but I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, so I come from a Gen Xer point of view. Um, mm-hmm. But I just want to know, like, what does it mean to you to be a feminist? Because I think that too many men, even even liberal men, identify feminist as feminine 
and it's oh, not. Nah. That that never uh, that never bothered me. I I get trolls who pop on my uh, on some of my threads and will call me, you know, data soy boy oh, and you know all of this kind of you know and cuck you know yeah. all of these conservative expletives right. you know that they think these are insults. But look, I was raised by women. Mm-hmm. My mom and my grandmother were the two most powerful. Uh, examples of how to be a human being mm-hmm. in my life. Uh, I was taught by women. Most of my teachers in life, the mm-hmm. ones that I remember at least, mm-hmm. were women. They were strong and they were intelligent and articulate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that men have really screwed up mm-hmm. America mm-hmm. overall. Overall. Yeah. And and um, I believe that women have every right to be equal. Like women's rights are human rights. Right. And it's it's time to stop the nonsense. It, women are smarter than men overall, I believe. Um, and I think that women are not going to achieve full equality without having men standing side by side with them and demanding that they yeah. get equality. You know, um, I believe that women should make exactly not 77 cents to the dollar or 65 Mm -hmm. cents as some women of color are Mm -hmm. getting to the dollar. No, they should be getting exactly what the the man with the same qualifications Mm -hmm. gets. I think women have the right to choice Mm -hmm. to choose what happens to their body. Who the hell are we men with a penis, how, what right do we have to dictate what to do with their bodies? Yeah. It is not our choice. Right, right. And, you know, I, I get sick and tired of these people saying, you know, that they're all concerned about the unborn. And you know what? Where's your concern about the born? Where's <laughs> yeah, your concern really. about the woman who to go through with this pregnancy, it is a risk to her life. Mm -hmm. Where's your concern about the little girl who was raped Mm -hmm. and now has to be forced to carry to full term a child that is the child of her rapist? And then you want to give that rapist rights to visit her and the child. What kind of crazy, what kind of crazy world are we living in? So yeah, feminists, I have no problem with with uh, any kind of connotations of femininity. I'm very secure in my own masculinity. And I know that masculinity doesn't mean that, you know, I got to punch every guy in the mm-hmm. arm that I see. And, you know, I got to, <laughs> you know, uh, be some kind of stereotypical macho dude. That's right. not it at all. No, doesn't mean, you know, come on now. No, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, as so a feminist, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it totally does, and I mean, to me, you know, I I look at the term feminist, and even though the the word like feminine is kind of part of it, it or at least implies it. To, I mean, the, the actual definition is just basically equality of the sexes, both you know, legal and social. And that's yeah. all it is. So it's like you know, and and I know that there are obviously uh, the GOP, just like they hammered Hillary Clinton for decades and and ruined you know I mean there I, I I've said this on this show before but I like to since the 90s yeah since yeah the 90s I like to reiterate that she had said something like Hillary on her Hulu thing said you know people talk about the next okay there's there's this Hillary scandal and that Hillary scandal so you know got Benghazi whatever it is 
if you hear, if you're the regular person who's not a political junkie, uh, who's not following everything closely, and you're just getting headlines or hearing little news blurbs, all you're hearing is another Hillary Clinton scandal, another Hillary Clinton scandal, over and over and again. Even if you don't even know what it is, you now you're putting together scandal and Hillary Clinton, and that's how you know her. And mm-hmm. and so you go into it going, mm, I'm not sure if I trust her, because you're constantly, and, and you may be a vote blue person, you may be a Democrat and all that, but you've you've been conditioned by the constant, 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 um, yeah. you know, chasing of her and trying to put her in this box. And so I feel like um, they do the same thing with the word feminism and they try to paint feminists as all one type. And there's so many types of feminism. I mean, there's asshole feminists and there's wonderful feminists and there's funny ones mm-hmm. and there's serious ones. And, you know, I mean, yeah. feminists are everybody. And it's just yeah. it's not about a lifestyle per se, other than a, an equality lifestyle. It's just it's just believing in gender equality, period. That's all it is. And, That's it. you know, and I'm, I'm also curious because now as a feminist, I am Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I don't have a lot of patience with this, especially when it's online. I tend to have more patience when I'm talking to somebody one on one. But if if it's, um, you know, if it's online and I maybe post something, you get the splainers coming on and maybe they're like the well-meaning they think they're helping and maybe, oh, the mansplainers? Yeah, maybe like yeah. they're democratic men or liberal men and and they really think they're helping, but they, they have this condescending tone. And mm-hmm. they're like, you know, it's the whole joke is, well, actually it's this. And <laughs> the word actually. Yeah. And so and it's funny because if I give it right back to them the way they give it to me, they get so fucking pissed. But yeah. um, and I try to do that. I try to show them what they're doing, and then they get pissed off and then they think I'm a bitch, but whatever. But but mm-hmm. My question for you is now you're a black man. What kind of advice would you give someone like me as a white person um, about how to be and my listeners, how to be a good ally? And, you know, because like I know that occasionally I it's it's I may say something that will be offensive to you or a black person without meaning to be. But it's because Mm -hmm. I'm ignorant of something. And once it's pointed out to me, I go, oh, and I get it. So, yeah. you know, there are, I think there are a lot of white people right now, considering what's going on, who want to be allies and who, you know, sometimes we just don't get something like what 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 advice do you have for for the white people who are genuinely wanting to be allies and definitely don't want to make missteps or be misread? Um, so I, I think there's a lot of hypersensitivity out there. Uh, now that is that falls under the umbrella of wokeness mm-hmm. right and and people are constantly trying looking to gotcha somebody about yeah. you know uh, an unintentional misstep right look I, I am not going to shoot my ally because you said something wrong or you had a wrong belief mm-hmm. I'm going to try to point it out to you yeah um where where you went went wrong and i'll point out sources to you and say here look this is this is actually what the situation was mm-hmm. i'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt i appreciate i love when when i'm watching the news and i see so many of my white brothers and sisters in the front lines mm-hmm. when i say in the front lines i mean literally yeah. placing themselves in the front as human mm-hmm. shields blocking our black and Latino brothers and sisters yeah. from harm. That shit brings me almost to tears. Yeah. I mean, because it's beautiful. It's beautiful. We, yeah, yeah. So we do 
um, we do need to be at the forefront of the fight, you know, uh, for uh, to make sure that black lives do matter and to make sure that people understand that when we say black lives matter, we're not saying only black black right, lives of matter. Course. <laughs> we're saying black lives matter, too. Yeah. Also. Right. You know, and I, just I don't know as why, much. <laughs> why? I, I don't know why Black Lives Matter also wasn't the uh, wasn't the thing. I guess it was too many characters or whatever. But yeah, yeah, that's actually the more accurate right uh, description. Black Lives Matter also. So I think it's important for our white brothers and sisters to explain to the less aware mm -hmm. brothers and sisters where they're going wrong see racism yeah. is a thing is is a, uh, a thing that people don't even realize they have yeah. until they get right. angry yeah. right until they get angry at someone and you've seen these episodes of quote unquote karens mm -hmm. right who like amy cooper in the park you know she says i'm going to tell the police and African-American mm -hmm. mm -hmm. is threatening me. Yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure that somebody said she was a, a, a liberal voter. Maybe yeah. she voted for Clinton and Obama. But at that moment of pure rage, mm -hmm. something came out of her that she might not have even been aware existed. Yeah. And, you know, she wielded that words, those words, African-American as a deadly weapon mm -hmm. against that man, Christian Cooper. Yes. Yeah. Um, so racism is that kind of thing that lurks inside people and they don't even know they have it. Yeah. And you cannot, as I've learned from addiction, you can't fix an issue. You mm -hmm. can't fight a problem until you acknowledge that yes. it is a problem. Yeah. So there are people out there who are possibly racist and don't know it they're undercover mm -hmm. racist they're unintentional racist mm -hmm. you know the but it, it is what it is and what is racism racism is the belief system that 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 props up the systemic racism mm -hmm. that is the real problem and the systemic yeah. racism are the the justice system how yes. it unfairly it is unfairly um unbalanced against people of color yeah you know, uh, it's f the financial systems, it's educational, it's it's systemic, it's mm -hmm. all throughout society. And it's these beliefs, these hidden shadow beliefs that hide within the recesses of people's subconscious that says this person is less deserving mm -hmm. of the things that I have because of the color of their skin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could be as simple as somebody who's not who, who's maybe not aware of their biases or, or their racism who maybe is interviewing for a job and you have two people who are just as qualified as the other one is black or one is white and that white person who's hiring goes with the white person just because they feel more comfortable and more mm -hmm. familiar and yeah. it you know and they're not even realizing it like oh this this black person is different from me so I don't know, you know, and they don't, they don't even have that thought process when it's happening. It's just an automatic. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I guess women have that to a degree also because, you know, I mean, I've written, uh, I wrote a, uh, a post last year about how white men can literally rape fucking mm -hmm. babies and women yeah. and white male judges give them no jail time. <laughs> 
-hmm. None. And, yeah. you know, and it's like, to me, the solution obviously is a more diverse judiciary, whether it's people of color, women, women of color, whatever, just not so many white men, because it's it's mostly white men who are making mm. these decisions. And, you know, they're the ones that feel so sorry for the white athletes that rape these women. And they're more concerned about the athlete's life and career and reputation than they are about the person who was raped. And it's yeah. like, you know, that's not based on color. That's a gender issue. But I, 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 I kind of understand it, even though I'm an extremely privileged white woman. Um, you know, I, I think what I try to do, and I'm certainly not trying to pat myself on the back, um, but I feel like as a, as a white person with a lot of privilege, I try mm -hmm. very hard. I don't always succeed, but I try very hard to really examine how I feel about something. And, mm -hmm. you know, I wonder, like, I have this story of, um, I was walking to the grocery store and th there was, uh, an, I was walking past an apartment building and there was a, a woman, uh, who was yelling at her boyfriend and she was black and they were having a fight. And my immediate feeling was I wasn't sure why they were arguing and I worried mm -hmm. for her and I, I wanted to get my phone out because I thought, is he abusing her? And so I, like, I looked over toward them. And when she saw me, I guess she thought I was just being nosy. And mm -hmm. she, she called me like a white bitch or something like that. And my, mm. my first reaction to that, and I really, I mean, I felt insulted. And yeah, I, I yeah. felt upset because I felt like I was looking out for you. You know, like yeah, I felt yeah. defensive. But I thought about it and I thought, I, I don't know what she's encountered her whole life. Maybe she's mm -hmm. ex been a victim of, I don't like the word victim, but you know what I mean. Like maybe <clears> she's experienced so much discrimination that she has this like distrust and, and it, it really saddens me. But I, I always try to examine like my like I said, my first reaction was defensiveness. And it was like I was I wasn't angry, but I was mm -hmm. like I was frustrated. Like, but I understand, you know, th th they were public. They were having a public fight. So it's like, yeah, people yeah. are going to look when you're screaming at each other. And, you know, I mean, I used to I used to live in an apartment building a long time ago uh, when I still lived with my mom and the people who lived above above us literally above my bedroom in the middle of the night the man was beating the shit out of the woman and i could hear her screaming and i could hear the whole thing and it's it woke me up and it scared me so much and i i went and i got a broom and i like i hit the ceiling so hard that i i poked a hole in it and um and then they stopped and i you know he stopped <laughs> beating her and i went and i was like I was probably 19, 18 or 19 years old, mm -hmm. but I was so afraid. I went and slept with my mom and I was like so afraid that, that he was going to come down and, and, and start shit. But I mean, he did and he didn't, but it was just the idea of, you know, when you hear people having an argument or something like that, especially when it's a man and a woman, my, I have a natural protective, is she okay? You know, yeah. I, I want to make yeah. sure she's okay. And so it's like, you know, I had that feeling, like I said, of frustration, but I quickly jumped to don't judge her. Don't think she's being rude. Think about where she's coming from. And so I really do. So again, it's not a pat on the back. I think we all need to do this. I think we all need to examine how we feel and how we react to things and really think about it and wonder about what the other person's experience is because you know, it's very easy to point a finger and go, oh, that person's an asshole, you know, and, and not know what their story is. Well, you know what? Um, assholes come in many shapes, yes, sizes, <laughs> and colors. <laughs> they do. Right? Yeah. So um, I, I think 
in that moment of extreme stress mm-hmm. that woman was experiencing, yeah. she was still being an asshole. Um, well, she, yeah, I mean, you know, she, she was. Because I say this, I say this, right? I've gotten plenty of pissed. I've gotten <sighs> enraged. Very few people have seen me enraged but trust me when i say i've gotten enraged to the point where you could probably hear me yelling three blocks away like that kind of enraged and my first go-to in those moments where all i can see is red is never (laughs) never to pull out of my ass your color whatever color or race you are (laughs) that's not the first thing that comes to my mind Mm -hmm. you know um, and so there is no excuse, right? Um, anger is not an excuse for racism. Mm-hmm. It's not. No. It's never an excuse. It's never. If if um, anger makes that shit come out of you, then yeah, then you're a bigot. You're a bigot. <sighs> yeah. Plain and simple. Mm-hmm. And if you're, I say that if you're black, you're white, you're Latino, you're Asian. If that shit comes out of you and from anger, you are a bigot mm-hmm. and you need to examine that yeah period and everybody kind of kind of needs to do some soul searching you know the, the whole conversation around racism is always uncomfortable yes, why because nobody wants to look at themselves and admit that the ugliest thing that an that a human being the ugliest trait a human could possibly possess is within you. Yeah. Nobody wants to accept that. So yeah. we deny it. We deny it and say, no, nah, that's not me, you know. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you get pissed off mm-hmm. at someone, you're dropping an end bomb, you know, and um, there it is, you know. Yeah. And we see it every day with these video cameras. I'll say another thing. You right. ask me, what can, uh, what can people do to help? Whip out those phones yes. because those phones, in most cases, are sa- saving lives, even though, unfortunately, in the case of George yes, Floyd, it did not it save didn't. his life. Or Eric Gardner. Um, you know, that, yeah. that actually happened to me. And I, and I won't go into the whole story, but uh, last summer I was driving home from somewhere and there was three white cops and they were holding down a black guy and I quickly pulled over and pulled out my phone but there were a mm. million there was like all these other people who had their phones out and mm-hmm. I thought you know here we are policing the police but I had seen you know I've seen enough of these videos that other people have you know pulled out their phone and the person still dies fortunately the situation it was a positive one and it was Montgomery County and I learned afterward I had told my mother about the experience and she said that she had saw a report on the news that Montgomery and this is in Maryland Montgomery County police have been taught to de-escalate and because of that there has been a lower incidence of police brutality and things like that so that's good I'm glad but I also felt like you know I mean I don't know what these cops were all about I don't know who they were they were all white Mm -hmm. and the gentleman they had pinned down um, I mean he was he was trying to get up and he was being I mean he wasn't being violent or anything but he I, he might have been under the influence and he was clearly wanting to leave <laughs> and, and I, I believe they they said that he w- he had stolen something from like Target and so mm-hmm. they kept you know they, they just kept pushing him back down when he'd get up and I kept this woman and I kept screaming at the guy to just stay still because I was so afraid that he was going to fight so much that it was going to trigger one of these officers to be violent with him. And thankfully, that never happened. But I did think, you know, here we are policing the police, and that's good. It's true. It's like, if fortunately, our phones 
are able to record what's going on. And what we've seen with all these protests, which is really fucking awful and scary, is police are just, God, the, the, the behavior of police is, yeah. I mean, we all knew what they were capable of. And we all knew, or most of us knew, you know, my boyfriend, Bob Seska writes about, uh, or has talked about the fact that, you know, the, the way that police are trained and the way that be, they behave is almost, and he, he, he put it, he, he, I know he connected some of it to after nine 11 because, you know, of all this fear, but my, actually my mother wrote an article um, not too long ago that I, can't, I think it was like 1991 or something. There was, a situation in North Hollywood, I think it was in North Hollywood, California, where it was two or three men robbed a bank, but they were like armed to the teeth. And mm-hmm. when the cops got there, they just had pistols. And the guys who had those major weapons, they they had more weaponry than the cops and 11 cops died. All the men died. Mm. But, I, but, but according to uh, what she had written, that started a change in, in how police you know, handled things and the kinds of weapons that they had and, and, and the force that they used because, you know, I mean, here they were, they were outgunned. And right, so right. they were afraid. And so, I mean, but now we're at a point where, okay, this is, this is, I mean, it obviously white supremacy is a huge problem and there's a number of other things, but I'm curious to know now we've, we've had these protests and it seems to me and I'm hopeful that there will be change coming from it. Do you feel like there's going to be real lasting change from these protests? I am hopeful, but um, I am I, I I hope for the best, but I expect the worst. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there is a proposal that um, Democrats and Republicans are are debating over the uh, the latest. Um, proposal to kind of rein in police behavior Mm -hmm. and that proposal is frankly it's bullshit um they so for instance the the biggest one the biggest issue i have with it is that it forbids the use of chokehold except in instances where police believe themselves to be in danger so right in 99% 99% mm-hmm. of these cases where a guy is choked out like an Eric Garner mm-hmm. or a George Floyd, these cops are, their go-to is, I believe my life was in danger. Right. And exactly. so you're basically yeah. giving them a, a freaking loophole. Yeah, now, yeah. It's a loophole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I you just used a chokehold because I thought my life was in danger. Yeah. Okay, no, no consequences again. Right. So I think Democrats are right to push back on this yeah. and not allow it to go through unless they change that they have to change that Mm -hmm. they got to figure out i saw a meme the other day which i thought was so clever it it just blew my mind where a nurse was saying um i frequently have to restrain uh drug abusers and violent people in order to uh administer uh life-saving medication or procedures and I do that all the time without having to break their tracheas. Wow, that's great. That is great. It's powerful. Yes, you know, it's and it's powerful. true. And it's true. Yeah, if I mean, they can, if they can get it done, why can't the cops? Exactly. Exactly. And you know, I'm curious too what you think about. There's the the slogan "Defund the police," and obviously, <laughs> there are. Um, I hate it. 
Okay. I hate That's it. what I wanted to ask you. <laughs> and you know, I mean, let's let's be clear. Defunding the police doesn't mean abolishing. It means, no. you know, it means the police are not responsible and they're not like they're not mental health counselors or social workers. They're not, you know, medical professionals or education specialists. I'm looking at a meme right now that lists it all. But it's 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 saying, you know, what does it actually mean? It means that police will be funded but not overfunded. Redistribution of the city budget. Everyone gets a fair share. And then, you you know, investing and reassessing, like investing in education, investing in mental health, um, reassessing our values, investing in our communities and all of that. But I'm with you. I mean, I, I pretty much stopped going after it online because I get so much pushback. I understand what it's about. But but what I think people who are stubbornly holding on to this is they think that because their argument, at least the, what I heard is that the the right is going to twist everything we say but that's exactly. not the point of course they are but there are people this is the way i see it there are independents out there there are a lot of moderate democrats out there who maybe are not going to take they're not political junkies and they just hear that term and who said it it was somebody i can't remember who said this but who said go ask your your parents or your grandparents what defund the police don't give them any indication just say mm -hmm. what do you think when you hear defund the police and their answer is why it shouldn't be the slogan. <laughs> it's yeah. like, it's true yeah. because it's like, it's people don't really understand it. And it's like political junkies understand it. Sure. Even if we don't like it, we understand it. But that doesn't mean, you know, I mean, we're giving too much credit out there to people who um, are voting, but not really paying attention. Let and, me, let me tell you something. The reason why Donald Trump was able to sneak into the Oval Office uh, was because he dumbed it down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He dumbed it down. Yeah. He dumbed it down for just enough racists out there. And yeah, maybe not all not all Trump supporters are racists, but all racists are Trump supporters. Yes. yes. Um, but he dumbed his messaging down to the point and he used repetition. Yeah. He used simple phrases and simple words. Mm -hmm because he understood that there is a vast majority of people in America, both Republicans and Democrats, mm -hmm. who aren't really as smart as you would think they are. Right. You would like to think that they're smarter, but there's way too much nuance mm -hmm. in the phrase defund the police, yes. that if you need to explain defund the police with 18 bullet points, then you need a new <laughs> phrase. <laughs> I totally agree. I yeah. totally. And you know what? Democrats are always, you know, uh, again, my, my boyfriend husband always says Republicans are fantastic at campaigning and they're terrible at governing. And it's the opposite. You know, Democrats aren't so great at campaigning. They're much better at governing. And it's yeah. true. It's like in order to win, though, you have to be good at campaigning. I mean, obviously, Barack Obama knew what he was doing. And mm -hmm. but not everybody's going to be Barack Obama. Not everybody's going to have the. Um, and even Bernie Sanders, whatever you think of him, he he was able he wasn't able to get the votes, but he uh -huh. was able to get people excited and he had charisma or has charisma. He's still with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and so but not every politician, not every candidate is going to be that exciting or the, or they're not going to be able to, you know, get everybody riled up. So it's like. I agree. We, we need if you've got a slogan that has to be explained by 18 bullet points, go back to the drawing board. But well, I'm, I'm Kimberly, leaning in. I'll I'm tell you in. this. <laughs> I'll say that you got to take 
the money and the power from the billionaires. Okay. I think that enthusiasm is overrated at this point. You don't need big crowds. You just need a lot of votes. <laughs> Which he didn't get. So, um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, he didn't, Bernie didn't get those votes. And, you know, I mean, it's funny because I was a Bernie supporter in 2016. I am not, I was not one in 2020. But I, mm-hmm. I still, I like the progressive um, platform. You know, I mean, I, I like all the things on the progressive platform. And I just recognize that, you know, it, it may not be as quickly. We're not going to get there as quickly as we like for so many reasons, especially because we've got half the country is extremely right right now and extremely divided. But, um, you know, over time we can get there and it doesn't even have to be that much time. I mean, I do believe with with the public option, we could very easily get to Medicare for all within five or ten years. And, and, mm. and that will that would be not mandated by the government, which I think people would rail against, it would be absolutely voluntary. Because if you if you get on the public option and you're happy and you're not Mm -hmm. paying as much money, you're gonna tell your friends and your relatives and they're gonna be like, hey, I'm paying X amount per month. I'm gonna try this out. And then everybody's just gonna flock to it. And you know, and it and it and it will and it's better, especially at the size of our country and how many people are in it. It, I think it would be a mistake to try to tear down everything we have now and replace it. I think it's better to roll over time. And, yes, you know, incremental change versus yes. like revolutionary yes. immediate change. Yeah, yeah. It just may, it's easier. It's an easy. I mean, as much as I would love, you know, especially with COVID going on. And wait, and, let me do, let me just interrupt you for a second. What I just said right now, the whole incremental change. Mm-hmm. If you have like like uh, listeners in your audience who are like, you know, to the left of Bernie, mm-hmm. the, like the words I said just now are like, you know, um, th- th- it's unholy blasphemy. I know it know, is. I don't have any, change. I don't think. How dare you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> you progressive, sh- you, you, you shill, you progressive you corporate, sellout. Yes, you corporate. <laughs> sh- no, uh, you know what? I, I, I have my, my listeners are pretty familiar with my stance on on um, progressivism, I mean, I consider myself progressive, but I always say I'm pragmatic because as yes. much as I would like to see Medicare for all happening right now, I real, I mean, look at the shit that we had to deal with with the unrolling of the ACA. Now, it wasn't terrible. I mean, uh-huh. it still happened and, and, and it still worked and it, it worked out well. But whenever you introduce something huge, there's going to be issues and problems. And that's where Glitches, that's yeah. yeah, that's where the right gets to come and pounce and go, see, uh-huh. it didn't work. And so it's like and, and, and then we're at risk of losing all of it. And it's like, here's a perfect example. I, I'm for the first time. I mean, I watched, I'd say, the first two seasons of, seasons of Orange is the New Black. I don't know if you've seen the show. Same. Okay, so Same. I saw, I saw I, the yeah. first two seasons, but now, and that was at the beginning. Now I started watching it, and I'm on the sixth season. And um, so there was a riot in the jail, and mm. there was, the, the, actually, the jail turned corporate, and there was a riot. And so there's this, there's, her name is Tasty. So she's kind of like the one heading oh, up yeah. the riot. And they were going to get all of their requests uh, met, the, all of their demands met. But there was this one demand that she wanted, and it was a purity thing. And uh. she held out and lost. 
Mm. And I thought it was such a perfect... Rep- I mean, that show is such a perfect representation of what's going on right now because even though it's private prisons, um, uh-huh. the, the guards, in my opinion, and I want to get to this question about uh, uh, Trump in a second, but I just want to finish yeah. up with this, that guards, just like policemen, feel they have the right to punish but that's not their job. Their job is mm-hmm. to keep the peace. It's to keep order. And yes, they do have um, certain, you know, they're, they're, if, if somebody's out of line or becomes violent, yes, they have to use force in, in order. It's just like you're talking about the nurse. If you've got right. this violent drug addict, yes, you're going to have to use some kind of force to contain them. But mm-hmm. that's not the job of a guard to punish. That's right. for a jury and, and, and a judge to decide. Um, mm-hmm. and, I, and it's so fascinating to watch this show right now um, because there are so many parallels. In fact, the um, spoiler alert, it's an old show, but... Uh, wait, 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 because, <laughs> because, don't, don't spoil it okay, for me. Okay, I won't spoil Because actually, like, I, I only got up to maybe two, two and a half, yes, maybe three exactly seasons. Yes, that was exactly me, yeah. Um, and Watch when it. you just, you just reminded me that that's another show that I didn't get to finish that I would like to. Yeah, you know what? Finish it and then, okay, I won't spoil it, but I will say... What uh-huh. what triggered the riot is is like mirroring what we're experiencing now. So it's it's it uh-huh. is very timely. And so, I mean, I, I I'm really impressed with that show. And it was so funny because I had seen it, and it was right around that time that I started hooking up with my current boyfriend husband. And so mm-hmm. I stopped watching it because I was busy and everything with him. And then over the years, cause we're both, we're both the same. And you know, every night we like sit down in front of the TV after working and it's just our way to decompress. And I kept saying we should watch orange is the new black. And he had watched, I think I was on season three and mm-hmm. I was just beginning it. So we watched a couple of episodes, but he had absolutely no backstory. He didn't know any of the characters or anything. So it really didn't mean anything to him. And so he wasn't interested and I kept bringing it up and he'd be like, no, no, or he wouldn't say no. He just, I could tell he wasn't interested. Finally, I'm like, come on, man. I know you're going to like it. Just, let's just watch it. And so we started watching it and now we, it's like, that's all he wants to watch. And so we're almost <laughs> yeah, at the end. Yeah, he wants to power through it. Yeah. Yeah. We're almost yeah. at the end, but it really is worth it. Okay. So I want to ask you now, I'm, I'm scared and I want to get your opinion because um, I'm freaked out about what Trump's going to do with the mail-in ballot. He's going obviously we know he's going to try to steal the election. He's going to get all kinds of help from Russia, all kinds of help from his, you know, Trump Republican friends and all that. So we're up. Biden is up against Russia. He's up against Republicans, and he's up against Trump Co. And I know they're going to try to fuck with our mail-in ballots. And I'm mm-hmm. just curious, like. How are you feeling about November? Like, I mean, not only that, we're going to have COVID because they're probably going to use COVID as some kind of issue about why people can't vote. They're going to shut everything down. What do you think he's going to do? Because I'm freaking out. Well, I wouldn't freak out, but I do have I you you really asked the, the, the worst person to <laughs> uh, to uh, imagine what are some of the things that he could do. I, I will say this. Right. Um, if there is a way for him to cheat at something, he will do it mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. Now that the stakes are. If he doesn't win, he goes to jail. Yes. It's really high. So he right. doesn't really give a damn about he already doesn't give a damn about the law. He yeah. feels he is above the law. Mm-hmm. And he's been emboldened by his quote unquote exoneration, which was not an exoneration, mm-hmm. you know, from the impeachment trial. Yeah. So he's emboldened. He's got Bill Barr pulling strings. So in a worst case scenario, He's got Ivanka's voting machines yeah. rigged 
so that when you push Biden, it actually registers Trump, mm -hmm. a vote for Trump. That's, you know, again, like I said, I have an amazing imagination. And right yeah. now, it doesn't take that much of a stretch no. of the imagination to think that that they could do that. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen videos where a guy can vote, uh, can um, can hack a voting machine in like 15 minutes yeah. or less. Right. Uh, so it's not that hard. The mail-in ballots, well, he has just appointed somebody else as the uh, postmaster head, uh, general postmaster, whatever, the, the guy right. in charge of the post office. And it wouldn't be... Um, a stretch of the imagination to think that in some of the critical swing states, he works out some kind of deal yeah. where, you know, thousands of ballots just yeah. accidentally go missing. Right. You know, he's been railing against the uh, 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 against the legitimacy of the election, which means I know his playbook <laughs> is accuse the other side mm -hmm. of that of which you are guilty. Yes. So. He just tweeted about, you know, foreign nations are yes. going to be printing up ballots. And so I'm pretty sure that's what he's working on now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. So, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a little uh, nervous about it. But, you know, really, what can you do other than uh, try continue to try to get more and more people registered to vote mm -hmm. and make sure that if. If they're not doing a mail-in ballot, make sure as many people as possible have access to polling stations. Yes. Like these primaries that kind of concern me, like what mm -hmm. happened in Atlanta, what yes. happened in uh, uh, what happened in Georgia, what happened in Kentucky, yeah. where you're going from 3,200 polling stations for 600,000 people down to just 200 right. polling stations. That's ludicrous. It is. That shit better not happen in November. I don't care about any coronavirus concerns. You know what? We all figured out how to get out there and march yes. with our masks on, <laughs> yeah. with our gloves on, right. and our, our not really social distancing. But if we could do that mm -hmm. in the, you know, we can do that again in November. Yeah. We just have to stay focused. I'm ready to crawl over broken yes, glass. Yes, me too. And to swim through a, a sea full of coronavirus <laughs> in order to get to vote right period so all i can control all i little little old me all mm -hmm. i can control is what i can do and how many people i can spread the words to yeah. and earlier in the show you said something about having when you have a big platform mm -hmm. it's a, a big responsibility yeah. it's something that literally just dawned on me recently you know i um I grew up reading comic books and my favorite comic book is Spider-Man and um, you know, Spider-Man's uh, motto is with great power comes great responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I'm not equating myself with Spider-Man. I'm just saying that I have a bigger platform than a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I find it's my responsibility to constantly spread the word mm -hmm. to constantly keep people informed yes. to constantly focus on what the hell we need to focus on. And, uh, and that is getting Trump out of office. Mm -hmm. Don't yes. get distracted by the nonsense yeah. things like the Tara Reid distraction or the yeah. Obama gate distraction, whatever the hell that was, <laughs> you know, you know, he couldn't even explain what it was, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, like when asshole. he was asked, well, you 
You know what you it know is. What it is. <laughs> you know. He's such a I dick. You know. Oh, my God. I hate him. I hate him so much. It's tremendous. Um, <laughs> okay, so here's my last question, and I love to ask this of everybody on the show. I'm just curious to know who you would like to see uh, Biden pick for a VP. Kamala and, Harris. And why? Because I think she is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think she is charismatic. She is smart. She is is an excellent prosecutor. When I say an excellent yeah. prosecutor, like I'm just picturing her um, in the debate with Mike Pence. Oh my God, I know. She will just <laughs> eviscerate him. Yeah. Um, and now for a more pragmatic reason, okay, I actually love Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. She was my pick for president, not Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Joe yeah, Biden too. was like, I'm with you there. Not my first, second or third <laughs> I don't choice, know if but he was it anybody. is what it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but Elizabeth Warren, actually, I like a lot. And I think she would make a fantastic president or vice president. Mm-hmm. Right. However, she is in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Kamala Harris is in California. The likelihood if, uh, if Elizabeth Warren is plucked out of the Senate, the likelihood of her being replaced by another Democratic senator is low. Actually, no, I'm going to disagree with you on that. There was an article that came out in Daily Coast and they explained this. And I'm just going to say what the article said. First of you all, you had that all queued up and ready to go for this, huh? <laughs> well, but I mean, you know what? I, I'm kind of leaning towards it. I don't know if it would be Kamala or, or Val Demings. I really like Val Demings too. But, and mm-hmm. I understand uh, the need and the importance at this time in history for a woman of color. And, and so, you know, I mean, I've always liked Elizabeth Warren, just like you. I, I looked at her resume and I mm-hmm. felt like, you know, put her resume on anyone and that's who I'm going to choose. It's, I mean, I, I, initially I was kind of worried about her because I wasn't sure that, you know, we all know how she speaks. She speaks kind of gently and mm-hmm. sweet. And, and so it was like, well, how is it going to be with somebody like Trump? But I think she completely proved herself with Mike Bloomberg and even how she questioned uh, Bernie Sanders. You know, did you just call me a liar or whatever it was that she said to him? She's not afraid to go up to these strong, big men and call them out for their shit. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, and that moment I thought, wow, you know, for all the, you know, cur- like I was wondering, could she pull it off because she seems so nice and like she's just going to give you vanilla cookies. You know, it's like, is she going to be strong? Yes, she's strong enough. Um, but I do, like I said, I do understand and see uh, how important it is to have a woman of color, I think, should be president and should have been many of them by now. But because there's so much, uh, you know, we uh, our country is freaking racist and sexist. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it, it's important to have somebody who understands both of these things. But with Warren, uh, the legislature is mostly Democrat. They do have a Republican governor, but mm-hmm. the they have a special election that happens, I think, I think it's 60 to 90 days after the inauguration. So that special election would happen very quickly. And uh, there would likely be a Democratic 
person to replace her. But that said, that doesn't mean it's an automatic and it doesn't Mm. mean, you know, that it's guaranteed. I think there is more of a chance that they're going to have somebody replace her that's Democratic because I think in 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 past elections, it's been that the if there is a Republican governor with a a Democratic legislature, they don't let the Republican governor just put in a Republican. So that said, I mean, I I do want, you know, I'm slowly, you know, I, I still favor Warren because I understand from her that she knows how to get shit done. She knows how to run a governmental agency. She knows she got money back for people who lost money during the housing crisis. And she's so smart. And she's, I do believe that, you know, any policy she were to put through, not as a vice president per se, but I mean, just whatever she, because obviously I'm of the belief that I think that whoever is going to be the vice president will be the president before 2024. Oh, I, yeah. I just yeah. think that's going to happen. And so that's when the policy would go through. And I also think that Biden would be smart and is probably already going to make sure the VP position is the most important that it's ever been. Because normally mm-hmm. it's not so much, you know, it's it's not the big, you know. I'd be happy to see Elizabeth Warren go into the Department of Education or head that or head Treasury if she's not... If she's not the VP, um, but it's like I, I do think whoever he chooses is going to have a much stronger role um, mm, because she's yeah, going to because yeah. even if he lasts the four years, I doubt he's going to run in 2024, and that person is going to have to take over, and so they're going to have to be showcased. Look, this person is capable, and mm-hmm. you know this woman knows what she's doing, and she can handle herself as president. And so, I mean, that's my person. You know, I I always think in terms of like Obama is there. And he's talking to Joe and he's, he's talking to all of Joe's people and, you know, and they're all brainstorming and strategizing. And, and, you know, and I feel like Obama is taking a look at this and I feel like his input is so important and he's so much smarter than I will ever be. But I try to put myself in his headspace and I feel like, you know, he would be advising Joe of all this. I mean, you know, Joe probably knows, but. Mm-hmm. I th- and I'm with you. I mean, he was not. I mean, obviously, there were a lot of people who wanted Joe um, as their first choice. They chose him. But I, most of the people that I've ever had on my show are just like you. It's like I liked this person. And it's usually Kamala uh, or or Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, and, and I just want to I want to say something about that VP choice to your listeners. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't get too invested. Yes. In your first or second or even your third choice, because the choice is not up to To, us. Yes. It's up to one guy. It's Joe Biden. And he's going to pick who he's going to pick. And I say this because we Democrats are almost reflexively (laughs) ready to like pounce on and cancel each other. You know, um, hey, he can only pick one person. Mm -hmm. So whoever it is. Like, let's keep it together. Don't say, oh, he didn't pick a woman of color. He's canceled. I'm done. I'm not voting for Joe. Right. No, no. Just keep in mind that the guy we have to beat is Donald Trump, yeah. not 
ourselves. Right. And they're going to be, you know, they've got their own set of numbers that they're looking at as far as who's going to help beat Trump, who's going to be the biggest, um, you know, what's, what's the word I'm, is escaping me, but like who, who, who has the best numbers to beat Trump, um, you know, and they're going to they're gonna look at all of the stuff that you're talking about with Senate seats and all that. So there's so many variables that they're going to consider. And, yeah. you know, it's like... If Kamala is your favorite and Kamala comes up short in in one of those things and it is Val Demings or whatever, how, or or it's Elizabeth Warren, I am ready to uh, get excited about whoever he chooses because I do think that obviously they're going to go through all kinds of vetting and they're all yeah. also going to. Uh, I, I know Obama is going to have a big influence. You know, he's going to be very influential in whoever that pick is, and so I'm going to trust that even if it's not my first choice, that it's going to be the best choice from all the information that they have. So I'm just going to yeah. trust it. And, and that's going to be where my excitement comes from. I mean, I'm excited, you know, somebody had said something on Twitter, like, well, it, all these people are going, I just can't get excited about Joe Biden. What's well, like, can you get excited about, you know, overturning fascism or, you yeah. know, <laughs> saving the country? So yeah, mm -hmm. I'm totally excited. He wasn't my first choice. In fact, I didn't think that he was going to make it, but I was wrong. So now mm -hmm. he's there and I do understand, you know, he is a good man. He's, he's the, the king of gaffes. And we all knew this coming in. And he's going to stay say he's going to say stupid shit. And um, that's who Joe Biden is. That's just who he is. He does. Yeah. He does mean well. He's made stupid and bad decisions in the past. But I think that over time, I think that he's, you know, evolved. And I think he's a good man for this time. And he said, I am here to basically bridge the gap to the next generation. And, you know, that that makes me kind of wonder. I think maybe, you know, Kamala would be. She's younger. I mean, Elizabeth Warren is 70. She's a young right. 70, but she's 70. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, Kamala's younger, so may, and so is Val Demings. And um, I think that I, I'm really impressed with Val Demings. I didn't know a lot about her, but I watched, I just recently watched her opening statement at the impeachment hearings. Yeah. And she was yeah. like, whoa, man, she's fucking awesome. And, she is. Um, yeah. yeah, I really like her. I know uh, Glenn Kirshner was on, and he's totally behind Val Demings. And he mentioned like three times that she drives a Harley. So <laughs> just, oh, he really? loves her. I yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah, that's so cool about her, too. So, anyway. <laughs> All righty. Well, boy, this was a fun conversation. Indeed. This could have gone on and on. <laughs> I know. That, I'm telling you, I used to talk on the phone. I could just do it forever. Um, <laughs> so, hopefully, one day you'll come back. And uh, it was it was definitely fun talking to you. But before I let you go, why don't you tell everybody where to find you? Uh, thank you. Well, I'm on Twitter, as you know, my uh, my Twitter profile. Uh, my name is Brooklyn Dad Defiant. But my at thing, my at is at M.M. Padellan, M-M-P-A-D-E-L-L-A-N. But you can also find my book and some of my blog stuff on Brooklyn Dad Defiant dot com and if you're not interested in an autographed copy or some really informative written articles by yours truly <laughs> you can find the book on amazon.com just search for the little s l-i-d-d-l-e apostrophe est president awesome. the little is president yeah Yay. awesome well uh thank you so much this was so much fun i loved i knew it was going to be a good time talking to you and it absolutely was so thank you for being on the show oh thank you for having me this was terrific this was a a, a ball <laughs> yay all right well then we'll just talk to you next time then thank you kimberly all right take care bye-bye bye-bye
I figured that would be a fun show. What a fun guy. He's so much. He, I just, I really like talking to him and it, it helped my spirits because this morning I woke up and I was kind of in low spirits, you know, just part of it is COVID. Part of it is fear. Um, I'm, I'm worried and I'm concerned about this spike that we're going to see. And then I'm still obviously trying to deal with my grief about Miranda, which I won't go into because I don't want to cry, but it's just, you know, it was a little bit of a tough morning and poor Bob came in, you know, to my office and he asked me, he's like, you know, uh, the, the, the COVID rates are pretty low here and I'm thinking about getting a haircut. And he knows that I am so completely obsessed with being COVID free <laughs> as much as possible. And, you know, and, and I told him, I'm like, well, of course, you know, he's like, if I wear a mask and if I do this and if I do that, and it's like, of course, go get your haircut. But just, just the thought of it, um, makes me worried. You know what I mean? It, ma it makes me feel concerned. Not that I don't believe he's going to be safe. It's just, um, I'm so, uh, this is just, un it's, it, it's unsettling and it's freaking me out. And, you know, I've offered to cut his hair, but he doesn't want me to do it. Probably for good reason. Anyway, so it was very, very much a good time to speak with BDD. Um, he's he's so cool and he's so upbeat and I really like him and I definitely want him to come back on the show. I'd love to know, obviously, your thoughts of the show and, you know, comment on stuff. And I, I love I love when you comment anything if you disagree with me if you disagree with my guest or if you you know whatever you think I am open because basically I'm just going with I mean I have the core of this show which is always going to be the same always going to talk about politics and social issues uh, occasionally talk about things like body image or sex or something like that and then I will also do celebrity which I don't really like the word celebrity but it, it's uh, people understand when I say actor interviews it's celebrity actor interviews those will be occasionally, um, but you know, I'm, I'm always open. Like the other, uh, last Wednesday, David and I, David Ferguson, and I just talked about whatever, you know, we talked about fucking underwear. So, um, and I didn't plan that show. I, I didn't want to plan that show. Plus again, I was freaking out about my cat. And so I, I was just like kind of not able to focus on anything. And I thought, well, let's just do this and see. And so far, uh, everybody's been really positive about it. And, you know, occasionally, specifically with David, because David is a talker and, and he can just ramble like me. So I know that David will be back and we'll just have those conversations that about whatever. <laughs> and it's fun. So, um, all right. So that's, that's it for today. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And then same with Amazon. You go to Kimberly A. Johnson and you can see all my books. Peyton's Choice, that's the one that sells the most. It's about teen abortion. You got The Virgin Diaries, American Woman, Ain't No Sunshine. Check them all out. Get them, get them for people in your family. Maybe somebody's birthday's coming up. Maybe like you have a, a, a niece or a nephew who is a teenager. And you know what? Uh, younger, younger, not, I guess, boys, um, younger dudes <laughs> are interested in Peyton's Choice because I share a lot of intimate, and I don't mean sexual per se, I mean, yes, there's sex, but intimate thoughts of a young girl and how they view boys. So it's kind of like an opportunity for a, a, a boy to understand where a, a girl is coming from when it comes to first time relationships and sex. And so it's not just for girls. 
usually the girls are the ones who are who are into the uh, you know YA, especially if it's about romance and all that. But so anyway, there's my pitch for my book. So thank you for listening. And tomorrow we're going to be talking with Steph Walton. That's going to be fun. It's going to be patrons only. And we will see you then. That's it, everybody. Stay safe. Mm-hmm.